Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. I'm your host, Spencer, and uh, with me is uh, he thinks he's a cool guy, but he's us hanging out in Paris doing dumb shit. It's Joel. Listen, I, I wouldn't think I was a cool guy if it, if I wasn't being like, uh, uh, what is the word? Uh, anyways, everyone thinks I'm cool. It's not just me. Like, if everyone's telling me I'm cool, I must be cool, right? By the way, I'm going to smoke like 40 cigarettes. How do you feel about hot ash right next to your face? Sexy. <laughs> yeah. This. <laughs> okay, so this is the. Uh, first half of our nine, first 19th what, the year parents don't really matter um, it, it, this is the basically the pairing of two movies that I'm kind of not that I don't like that much overall that I kind of would knock out early so it's Breathless which uh, uh, I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll get into that that's this episode and La Ventura the Antonioni will be next so this is a real double feature of me trying to figure out why I don't connect bother. with these movies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> why bother? <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and so to ease um, uh, me have not having much to say about Breathless, uh, I have two guests. One is his first podcast without uh, his first podcast. Of Guest appearance, guess you would say. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, who are you? Yes. Uh, so my name is Nolan. I am from the Cinema Parlor podcast. It is an honor and joy to uh, be with you guys today. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks You're for welcome. joining us. Mm-hmm. I am. I am very much looking forward to talking some Gadar, who uh, I am a very uh, a, a a pretty sizable fan of. Uh, and uh, in particular, Breathless. So I'm excited about this today, guys. All right. And our other guest is um, uh, basically a regular um, guest um, on on uh, on our last few seasons. It's Mike from the Grind Bin. Thanks for having me, guys. <sighs> Here to talk a serious movie for once. This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Usually uh, happy on to, you know, slum for- it up. <laughs> like for fun stuff like boss or uh new jack city <laughs> oh new jack city and that what was the guy with the cheeks that we did that movie uh, uh joe shishido yeah that, that was a fun one yeah but this is like the first not goofy one so we'll see I how it goes i have to commend you spencer <laughs> for doing a new wave podcast and starting it out with movies you don't like <laughs> <laughs> You know that I I like that premise though. It's like I don't get it, but I'm ready to figure out why I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like one Godar film. Um, <laughs> uh, my life, to, my life to live. The one couple years after this, okay. with Anna Car- uh, Karina. No, no, that's Car- a, no, that's it's a, just Karina. Yeah. Karina. I don't. It's too similar to that book title. That's true. But, um. Like that one, and I've seen about four or five others, and I'm kind of like, I just don't get Godar. Like, <laughs> I just don't get influ- it. Let's make a French New Wave podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that's more excuse to be like, well, I guess we can pair it with, with Italian shit, so we can talk about like Mario Bava or whatever. But 
That's what you're like calling the... the podcast, right? I just don't get it. A French New Wave podcast. <laughs> I pretty afraid it's just Godard. I'm like, I, I don't get it. But the others I've seen, <laughs> I do like just like there's some big block with like Breathless and Alphaville and all that stuff like that. Yes, the Pauline Kale of podcasters, Spencer. <laughs> Did you ever see uh, Band of Outsiders, Godard? Uh, no. You know, I just watched like that, that one the other day, actually. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I want to see, like, the late air stuff that people say is boring and hard to understand. To be like, maybe I'll like the stuff that no one likes from Godard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I haven't, I've never checked out, like, a, a big portion of his, like, 70s and 80s and 90s output. But I've seen maybe, like, a couple, and uh, they they are definitely on the more challenging side, to say the least. Mm. I, I'm surprised with Disney's recent announcements of uh, movie franchises and uh, cool directors that Godard did not get, like, the Hulk or something, because I think he's right. <laughs> <laughs> ready, ready to go on some of that stuff. And I'd love to see that. <laughs> I, I bet he has some hot takes about Disney and Marvel. <laughs> I, you know, uh, if I if I could barely take what Spike Lee had to say, sometimes I have no patience for good art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, speaking of a band apart, Mike, do you know about the thing he said about Tarantino? No, I know Tarantino uses that whole thing, but what did he say? He hates that Tarantino uses a band apart for his production company because he said it's one of his worst movies. <laughs> I like Band of Outsiders. It's a good one. It's a weird one. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's Godard. He can't be happy. Very true. I'm going to... Now it's like my mission to find a Godard that you might like. <laughs> Jersey Contempt. Have you seen that one? It's it's a good on the, that's on the list. How about uh, Pierre Lafoe? <laughs> that's also on the list. That is a personal favorite of I am a well, I love that one in Weekend. Those are my two favorite guitars. Oh, Weekend. There's a great one. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen Alphaville, right, Spencer? I have. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you had. It's interesting, but it's I mean it's like, it, it at least has it, a it doesn't work. <laughs> it, it's fine, but you yeah. know. Oh yeah, I get. I'm I'm middling on it too, but I still think it's it's. Uh, I think it's. I would once, more likely to rewatch enough. it than Breathless. Yeah, Breathless is like, okay. Well, first off, how do you guys he- first hear about French New Wave? Oh yeah, in film school. Wait, a I watched, You went to film school. I watched Breathless. Do you, Do you have a degree? <laughs> yes, I do. Hey, Wait, I have a degree, degree in film production, everybody. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, I I am the same way. I uh, I learned about it in film school as well. I have a degree oh in film gosh. studies. You fucking dorks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you invited on two Godard fans. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, I, I had no idea. But, my you know, I'll, I'll stop referring to you as that weirdo. And <laughs> well, I will start referring right to you now. as that educated weirdo. <laughs> Uh, Joel, I actually did watch The Van in uh, film school. So oh, that's awesome. where, man, uh-huh. the origin story. <laughs> I thought it was wow. because Bobby was bitten by a radioactive weirdo. 
<laughs> no, they showed Breathless, and then they're like, "Here, we're gonna follow that up with 1973's The Van." So, <laughs> in the, the one of the film classes I took, we watched uh, Swim Fan because the teacher. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, like we watched a lot of classic stuff but for huh. film noir i guess she doesn't really like film noir she was like eh, this is a modern one <laughs> well i've always considered swim fam mm. a real classic noir absolutely <laughs> i mean it it kind of is but it's a weird <laughs> pick to watch for a class <laughs> that's great uh, yeah. so if you taught a film class spencer you mm-hmm. would throw on breathless because you have to and you'd be like, here you go, it's French New Wave. Uh, I would throw on Shoot the Piano Player, because that's a great movie. Oh, okay. I, I like Buffo, and I like uh, Varda, and like the other ones. And, uh, Rivette, who was like the most mm-hmm. artsy-fartsy of all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, Rivette did like the, like, all his movies are like four hours long, and <clears throat> there's people talking and hanging out. It's like, oh, I love this. But for mm-hmm. some reason, like, Alphaville? Nope. That trash out of my way. I don't need it. Mm. So, did you guys both watch Breathless in class? Oh, I did. Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I did as well. Uh, this was my first Kadar film. I uh, was introduced to. Uh, I I came into film school as somewhat of a a newbie to film and film culture in general. It was just something I was interested in, and so when I watched Breathless, it was kind of one of those uh, big moments for me because I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. And uh, I was inspired, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a very similar story over here. That's very cool. Uh, J-Dog, what about you? Because seemingly I'm the only person here who never went to have a film class or anything. I watched yeah. movies in, in school on occasion, but I've never had a film class. Well, you know who didn't also have a film class? Man, Quentin Tarantino, man. He just watched movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think it's, uh, you know, required. Like, if you spend a bunch of money on a private film school education, then you come out and the one thing you get is that you like Godard movies. Right. Oh, okay. So. That's, that's oh. the problem here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think i'm trying to think if we actually watched any french new wave i mean we definitely watched some italian neorealism which is where i got the taste for that um but like uh alphaville i watched because somebody requested it on please don't send me into outer space it was your director for narrator who ah yes that's right he was on that episode two movies on amazon prime Mm -hmm. at least one movie he's got at least one yeah yeah and then uh Two or three things I know about her, I watched on my own on a whim. Because what I used to do is when Criterion was on Hulu, I would just start basically like going through the alphabet and I'd watch a, a one a movie that started with a number and then I'd start a, a movie that started with A and then B and then C and then, you know, just go through and then start all over again. And that was just a good way to get like a huge range of, of things and uh, two or three things for me was like, I hadn't seen anything like that before. So um, I'm kind of afraid to rewatch it now, but at the time I, uh, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I can't wait to see more. Uh, since then I've seen a woman as a woman and now breathless. And I, I did not like a woman as a woman. I can't remember specifically why other than I didn't feel prepared for it at, 
when I watched it, like I felt kind of like lost and it wasn't the, you know, a narrative film, just like breathless isn't really a narrative film. So. Yeah. Hmm. I think I first heard breathless when I got to criterion, like seven, eight, no, like nine years. I can't remember. I was in college. And then uh, whenever I, and then I was like, just would load up my Netflix DVD queue of anything criterion. And it was like, Oh, uh, Godard, that name is important. And I watched yeah, a couple and I kind of moved on to like Kurosawa pretty quickly after that. And <laughs> if you know our past few seasons, you can figure out what I stuck with. Sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So like, I guess to start off is I don't hate this movie. I don't hate Godard. Just like, I see the skill. I see the influence. I see like how uh, how it's replicated now but i just it there's just like a, a mental block of like i don't enjoy this but i can recognize this is made by someone who who knows uh like film and like clearly loves movies and like uh, and i you know it's it's a success story of like someone who is a who's a who's a fan who became a big shot director did you just ask me a question? No. Okay. I was afraid you asked me a question. <laughs> I was reading I was reading some letterboxed reviews here and, and my it's it's I didn't understand what was going on. So I, I was so entranced by uh, this person writing about the things that they think are amazing about the movie. I was kinda like, uh, okay, yeah. Oh okay, okay, cool. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, uh, you, know, you, my, you, you were talking about your shoes and <laughs> something like I, that. I gotta say that you know, with my experience with the film is, uh, I I think it's a good film, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it my favorite of his of, of the ones I've seen. But I I think it's a very important film, and the more I watch it, uh, I would say the the less interested I get in it, but I. <sighs> I still find myself taken by it. I, I just, I, I think its importance uh, is a bit uh, stronger than, than how great of a film it is. But, but I do think it does uh, quite a few interesting things, including, you know, the editing style and uh, obviously uh, how big an influence it was on a number of, of uh, different films and uh, film waves that would come. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it. I know Joel, you have, but um, uh, like there's a whole lot of uh, like, like watching watching this again. Um, I I realize like, oh, this is like, uh, Tuki Buki like, is like directly like the big follow up to this. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and like uh, um, story of Third Day Pass is like, just um, Melvin Van Peebles kind of like. This repeating, um, uh, like breathless style editing and storytelling, yeah. except it's like Melvin and people, so it's like radical and like and black centric and, uh, you know, like and kind of crazy in a way. Like Melvin and people's movies tend to be a little like, like, uh, crazy. So yeah. I am, so I am like glad the movie exists because we won't have, haven't gotten like. Like two of my favorite directors. 
Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned Tuki Buki. That was something I was going to mention if it wasn't brought up was the influence on that film. And just while we're on this, I'll just, you know, another thought that I had was uh, how big influence it was on something like uh, the German New Wave, in particular uh, Fassbender's early gangster films. And also, obviously, Arthur Penn's uh, Mickey Blue Eyes and, and Bonnie and Clyde. Um, and the and really got the new wave going the the Hollywood I'm sorry uh, the new Hollywood going yeah. Mickey Blue My. Eyes the the movie with uh, Hugh Grant <laughs> <laughs> yeah the classic oh, okay yeah yeah we See all the... watch that in school as well you know <laughs> yeah exactly I was gonna say yeah and I we heard so. oh I, I said that wrong didn't I I'm an idiot give me a second <laughs> no, no. just made it. What's no, the, uh, just, the Arthur Penn I, movie with um <laughs> give me give give me one second here. I'll I'll, uh, I'll right. get myself uh, together a little more on that. Sorry guys. No, and no because uh we mentioned Tukibuki, we should say if you do watch it, be prepared because it opens with um a cow being slaughtered in a slaughterhouse in very graphic detail. Well, you know, you gotta get them right away, you know. Yeah, and it's yeah, great. And about midway through the movie, they also slaughter a goat, like right in front of everybody. Too. Right. Yeah, that's hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. See, I, for more movies like that, see my list on Letterboxd where animals are killed in on screen, live animals. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, as <laughs> Mickey one, that is the not Mickey Blue Eyes. Mickey one, man, that was talk about an all time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, mess up right there. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I don't even know why Mickey Blue Eyes was on my mind. I I guess just you know, all I could think of was uh, I don't know Hugh Grant. I guess so. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like we keep interrupting Mike. What, were you gonna say something, Mike? Well, I'd say about Breathless. I think it's interesting that you know it's an example of like so Spencer. You're saying not your favorite. With the yeah. French New Wave, but it's an early movie, right? And it's like one of the mm -hmm. first ones to kind of gain that and 400 blows to gain like critical success outside of just, you know, France, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's always going to be referred back to as like the birth of this movement and what, you know, we see as Americans in terms of the success and then what followed. But like, is it the best example? Is it the best Godard movie? No, but every time I go back and watch it, I I continually find new things. And I think it's a really mm -hmm. interesting movie. And like whether or not he intended for a lot of those things, I don't know. And I don't think so. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting, even today. Right. With the lens of like everything we've seen today, you look back on it. And I don't even need to think of it as like in frame of being from 1960 to just see that. It's just still an interesting movie, and it just does a lot of things that you don't see, and then you do see in in modern cinema. Well, yeah, no, I I, I agree uh, completely with that. Yeah, that's why I think it's 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 talking about it as an important film and as like kind of a, a bedrock for what came afterwards makes sense to me, but. I think because of my familiarity with so many things that imitated it or were, you know, and not just movies, but like even real life people who, 
you know, caught breathless and they thought, oh, this is me now. I'm going to be that, you know, kind of cool asshole kind of person. And it just makes me weary of it in a way. And not to say I, there were things in the movie that I, you know, I only disliked the movie because there were definitely things in there that I thought were cool and interesting. But um, it feels it feels like a first time movie, which it is. And you know what's what's so interesting about it is that like what you said, Joel, and that like starting things and being new and like having all these things that followed was that breathless, you know, Michelle is very much trying to be Humphrey Bogart. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So like imitating American cinema, Mm -hmm. like a, a very famous character in American cinema in the French new wave. Do you think that like had anything to do with like its success over here? I imagine because they because like the we already recorded the uh the, our first two episodes on um uh, on on like technically the first one uh Agnes Varda's first film, which is is like considered like proto. It's not mm-hmm. full like it, but like that is that's more like artsy. It's it's Varda, so it's more artsy. It's more abstract. It's more like poetic and beautiful, and like I can understand that not really connecting to like people over to like american audiences because like mm-hmm. it's ha- half the movie is like a like a bergman romance and the other half of the movie is just like this documentary of like this uh poor village in france where mm-hmm. uh breathless is like you have it's it's fun and poppy and you have an uh have like the bogart stuff in it, and plus you have an american actress who at the time was um like she wasn't her peak, but like it still is having like an American in the movie. Uh, yeah. It's like that really does help carry uh, carry it overseas. Yeah, I'm, su- uh, I'm surprised the French didn't burn the theater down because he, he, her <laughs> accent to me was like was breaking my my ears, and I can't imagine what an actual French person was thinking. <laughs> uh, would you care if we had a discussion about uh, Gene Seberg here, real quick? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, we don't have time. <laughs> well, uh, well, first, is she the one that uh, White Dog is based off of? Uh, I do not know personally. Because it's based off of some is that what the like, movie early... White Dog, uh, where the dog is racist. Yes, I think it was supposed to. Take... I don't think that's I... her. Uh, I, thought I mean, it was, like, she is. Based... You know, is it like a because she, you know, hung out with Black Panthers and stuff like that? Is it? Yeah, it's like based off of someone in like uh, loosely inspired by like uh, by by a couple famous people. I can't remember who. That's weird. uh, Who it was? Anyways, what 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 you want to say about James? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I, well, I I just kind of wanted to talk about uh, her career a little bit. It's like. You know, I, I believe she started out doing a few pictures with Otto Priminger, mm. and uh, Godard obviously was a huge uh, Priminger fan. And in particular, I believe uh, her first film was uh, Saint Joan, where she played a Joan of Arc uh, character. Uh, that film did not do very well in the theater and, and critically. And after that, uh, Priminger, just to piss people off, decided to put her in another role in a film. And uh, after that she did uh, Bonjour 
uh, Tristesse. I'm probably butchered that name. Bonjour, Tristesse. Uh, and uh, that character in that film in particular is what Godard based her character off of in uh, Breathless. Uh, he was mm. quite uh, mm. uh, taken from by that performance. Uh, so I just thought I would throw that out there. Um, I looked it up, and um, White Dog is based off of Gene Seberg and the author's uh, marriage. That, oh, that is okay. very oh. interesting. Yeah. They had a racist dog together. <laughs> I don't know the full story, but there, there, there's a direct connection. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Unless it's not cool. I don't know. I haven't read no. the book. <laughs> no, she, she is a cool person, by all accounts. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. But I, she, I really uh, enjoy uh, her in this movie. Yeah. Oh, she, I mean, if you guys have, uh, I don't suppose you guys listen to, uh, you must remember this, but they had that whole season that was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, part Seberg and part Fonda, and her life just was so yeah. tragic after, you know, I mean, like, literally the FBI uh, yeah, they, making they up post, this crap about her. Yeah, like, in a newspaper, didn't they write an art, like, post an article in the newspaper about how she was pregnant with a member of the of a black, of the black, black Panthers did. while she was yeah. still married, and that was a huge ordeal. Yeah. yeah, like this goes back to like our Paul Robeson episode of like, if you're black or a woman and a leftist, then uh, and, and you're a public figure, then the American government will try to take you down. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, that never happens anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We 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 we've moved we've, beyond that. We we've had a black president, so everything oh, is yeah. solved. Racism was solved. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Everything's great. That, that's what that uh, when uh, Bush was standing. Uh, in front of that banner that said mission accomplished that's what he was talking about he knew Barack Obama was coming <laughs> I think that uh, I really like her the, especially I mean her the way she looks in this movie is so iconic like with the, the dresses and the striped shirt the short haircut you know looking very um, uh, I watched it with Sarah and she was talking about how she looks like uh Spencer, your favorite actress from uh, Hepburn. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, very, very Hepburn. Yeah, Yeah, I see it. It it checks out. And Hepburn is also vaguely European. Yeah, I I think she's she's really good in this. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, she she is the... uh, well, she's the stronger of the of their of our two uh, characters that we spend most of the time with, and definitely, mm-hmm. uh, she yeah. has the upper hand through the whole film. I would I would say. So, uh, is, is Michelle a fuckboy? Because I forgot <laughs> how shitty he was. <laughs> the define he, a fuckboy, like like a broy asshole type dude. I mean, yeah, but I think like the more I watch this movie, the more I realize that everything he does is just completely selfish and for self-preservation. Yeah, until the very end, which is a bizarre. uh, It's almost a weird turn at the very end. Right. But like throughout all this, the more I see this movie, the more I realize that like all his actions are just based on self-preservation and why he forces his way into her place why he wants to stay with her it's to hide basically 
right? Yep. Right. And like he starts out with no intentions of ever like falling in love with this girl or anything. He just knows that he can use her for his purpose. And then by the end, it's very interesting to see like he he genuinely seems to care about her and she kind of is back where he is in the beginning of um not interested. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. <laughs> uh, as during that author interview, the author says, you know, when they're asking him those incredibly misogynistic, stupid questions, uh, <laughs> they, they oh, say, yeah. uh, how are French <laughs> women different than mm-hmm. American women? It's like, well, American women have all yeah. the control, you know, and French uh-huh. women are easily pushed over. It's like he was talking about her in this movie, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the oh, movie that's interesting. is. Do you know who the author is? That is uh, John Pierre Melville, is it not? Yes. Uh huh. And um, the dead body in the beginning is um, Jacques Rivette. Jacques Rivette, the, yes. Uh, and, it's about time he got it. <laughs> uh, and Claude Gibreau, another um, yes. uh, French new guy. He he worked on the crew of it. He co-wrote it. It's mm. other stuff. And uh, I think Truffaut yes, is in it. Yes, I was going to say that. Uh, I, I believe yeah. Truffaut also came up with the. Uh, original story if i'm if i'm remembering right and, and the story is actually based on a real life crime uh that uh was committed and uh Truffaut, i believe is the one that gave Godard um the story to begin with uh because like it's story credit is Truffaut, uh, uh Shiro and Godard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. i think there's an at least I think maybe another French New Wave director who has a part or because uh, Godard is one of the informants in the movie. Right. It's a, it's a it's kind of brief. Like uh, I had to look it up. I was looking for him, but then I realized, oh, I don't know what he looks like, <laughs> so I had to uh, look it up afterwards, and then I figured out uh, who he was. Mm. You know, Joel mentioned something that was interesting: is when you have that misogynistic interview, right? And he says that line about French women being pushovers and American women having all the power. You do have that French character right at the beginning where he goes and sees her and she is willing to put up with him. Right. Yeah. And there's no chase involved and he's not interested in her whatsoever. Right. Because she lets him in. She's fine with him. The only reason she doesn't want to be around Michelle is because she basically has something to do. Right. But later on in the movie, when you see her, she's concerned when she sees him or surprised. Right. And on the other end, our uh, our main character, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, is just uh, Patricia. Patricia. Patricia is like much more of a chase. Right. You can't figure her out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when she's working, she doesn't immediately drop everything to go with him. But, but I mean, some of the things she does are very pushover. Like the fact that she gets home and he's just in her bed. Like, okay, call the police. No, no, no. This is just what French people do. You know, it's like, yeah, we're fine. Uh, uh, I don't Joel, know would you kick out uh, Jean Paul Belmondo? <laughs> I mean, um, he's there, right? I don't know, know if I kick out Jean Pel Belmondo, but I would definitely kick out Michelle, because fuck okay. that guy. Jean Paul was at my house any night. I mean, he was a boxer, so like at this point in time, he could have kicked your ass. Oh, so you see like, that body? Hell yeah! 
<laughs> yeah. Did you think it was interesting though that it's only revealed at the end that they've only known each other for about a month? <laughs> no, it made sense. Uh, that, yeah, it, I, 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 I wasn't surprised. Does, does that reveal? There's a part in the movie where they like say something about Romeo and Juliet too, right? It's kind of this. Yeah. <laughs> He he starts to think of them as a star-crossed lover, and she's kind of hoping it'd end up that way, but she realizes, like, no, actually, I'm not that into it. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like, uh, uh, another, like, that's one of the very not-subtle things in a movie, which is not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> it, the movie is, like, very clearly trying to be, like, the super stylish, like, crime caper. And, like, the, the, the obvious... Um, foreshadowing you know it, it i think helps the movie uh in certain ways but like some of the stuff is at one point michelle passes a sign on or a poster that says live dangerous live dangerously until the end and and like uh there's just a whole lot of little hidden things that like or lines that's like oh they're they're saying he's gonna die at the end where it's like in, where in the moment it's like that seems too obvious but then you get to end it's like oh it's not too obvious like they were foreshadowing uh, the end the whole time I wish we had electronic science that just told me the random news too <laughs> yeah you got a real advantage there because <laughs> you ever stop and watch one of those electronic crawling like light up signs it's always like taco two dollar burrito but spelled with one r you know it's it's never news unfortunately oh you're telling me they don't usually say like hey we're gonna arrest this guy soon yeah well, we're on to him i know where he is hey, you, even you yes. even the big city like la fancy science like that oh, oh that's all true. the time yeah they're letting yeah. us know when uh they're closing in on a big yeah. fish who's not a big fish at all it's just some bumbling <laughs> bogart Basically, uh, all the signs right, right now say wash your hands and wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Nolan live in like small towns, so this we we're true. not used to the, the big city of. Uh, oh yeah, you get like uh, the signs that let you know who's on the run. Yeah, yeah, this is true. <laughs> so, what, what do you think about Spencer? That beginning when he just shoots the cop. Like how it's handled, like the whole thing of just barely seeing it, it being just like a minor thing almost that happens, but it becomes the central, I mean, later in the movie, it's obviously the central plot point, right? At first, I kind of forgot like big chunks of the movie, and I was like, he's not going to kill him, is he? And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot he's an idiot. <laughs> but he, I mean, he's trying to save himself, but same time he's just a, 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 a dumbass the whole time, making yeah, like every like wrong out of choice. Convenience, right? Like it's not even it's like barely a help... even a conscious choice, right? Because we don't yeah. see that decision being made. It's just like, oh, I need to get away from the situation, so this is what I'll do. Yeah, and like, um, what was it? Yeah, like you're like it, it like it's just a. Uh, it's a, a split second decision to help him that very moment. So he just like it basically just like uh, like, like an animal. Like he is an animal on the run, but he's an animal on the run who can't think two steps ahead. He's like, okay, how can I how can I save myself for next uh, hour? And then he figures something out, and then 
that that's kind of elite. So like it 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 um it sets up the pattern of what you're gonna see him do for the movie. Yeah, and I think like going off of what Joel said of why how it like telegraphs a lot of things, it's like, well, how else would this end up, right? A man who just makes split second decisions for whatever's best in the moment, eventually it's gonna end in tragedy, right? Sure. Yeah. Or he gets elected president, but yeah, it could <laughs> go either way, right? You, you never know. It's uh, the wild dice of the world. Yeah. And uh, Joel, so well, first today is uh, Tatsuya Nakata's birthday. My my favorite living actor. Yes. And watch this movie. Maybe you think if this was like if there's a Japanese version, I bet Nakata would have been this character at this Spencer. point in time. <laughs> uh. Something that occurred. Oops, sorry, and not into my yes. microphone. Uh, something that occurred to me while I was uh, getting towards the end of this movie that I am absolutely positive you'll know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about is that this. I mean, yes, this movie is launched the French New Wave, but I also feel like a lot of people feel that it was also breaking away from like what Hollywood was pumping out the same things. And, uh, you know, a, a stagnant uh, when it comes to creativity, at least in Hollywood wise. But I decided to just go to 1950 huh. on my letterbox and put the language as Japanese just to see which ones that I had seen that huh. reminded me of this. And so many, I mean, these things just popped up that I was like, like, were they inspired? Were, was Godard seeing these Japanese movies? Was he inspired with them? Like Black River. Oh, I see that. Or I, really I am waiting. Um, yeah, I just like see that, like that wave of like the youth films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, something as interesting as like Odd Obsession came out in 1959. You know, it's yeah, like these these Japanese films were so not safe compared to what America was putting out already that I was kind of like, wait a minute, how come people aren't crying? Like I, I breathless is celebrated. Like it is celebrated with a capital C, especially among like a film nerds who went to film school and got film degrees. Man, I hate those people. (laughs) Anyways. uh, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I just feel like I, I, I wish there was, as much as for the those kind of directors that came out of Japan, you know, that were yeah. somehow allowed to make these movies that would not pass the censors yeah. mustard in America, and probably one of the reasons why they yeah. never came over here. Oh, yeah, because like a lot of those movies would even bring up abortion or a character would have an abortion, and if yeah. you treat it as like as like, well, she ha- she made a choice. And it won't be the point of the movie. Like, yeah, where it's just a I thing. Feel like, like, she's not a yeah. ruined woman. <laughs> yeah, or like, a, a, even in France, I'm pretty sure, like, it was still an iffy mm. thing to even, like, mention abortion at this point in time. But Japan was doing it for at least, like, the last five or six years. Yeah. And, you know, they, they feel like they, this movie feels kind of like the edginess of of like noir movies were in the 50s where once again they they because of whatever censor controls they couldn't really talk about sex but those you know there were some very sexy noir movies and this movie if anything feels 
you know, the the parts where Bomondo and Seberg are stuck in that room for an hour, <laughs> just kind of philosophizing and not really listening to each other. It does feel sexy in in a way that I feel was not present in, uh, yeah, movies straight out of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, hey, am, am I completely wrong, guys? Just, just let no, me know. no, no, no. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Yep. I'm thinking about it. Okay. Uh, um, uh, yeah, and I, I agree with the uh, the film noir part. In particular, um, I think of Nicholas Ray films. In particular, They Live by Night. When watching this movie, mm-hmm. one that that comes to mind right out. Yeah. You shouldn't put a giant guitar in that watch list, too. That's another great oh, Nicholas Ray movie. That's a great movie. movie, absolutely. I redid. You should watch it. Because you're all but, mad um, at me that I hadn't watched it yet. Well, I didn't watch it for a long time. Then I saw it, and I was like, oh, there's a reason people say it's one of the best Westerns. Because <laughs> it is. But um, the, another director, like, another like, a little like director nod I noticed was, it, um, I think Michelle mentions... The Faulkner book, Wild Palms, right, which is the book that Agnes Varda used for uh, the bait that she based the structure her of her first film, La Point Court, off mm-hmm. of, which feels like a direct nod to like him bringing up Varda. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. At, in, in particular, also just a lot of uh, literature and. Uh, music and paintings are brought up, in particular in uh, in Patricia's character. Uh, she talks a lot about uh, Renoir paintings and uh, a bunch of different readings. And uh, if if I remember right, uh, Godard was quite a literature snob. And this gave me when when I was watching the film that really brought to my mind thinking uh, how Patricia is more of the hero in this film just because he he brings that knowledge to her whereas uh, michelle's character really doesn't have that knowledge other than just gangster and western pictures uh, more genre things mm-hmm. so i thought that was interesting to think about a little bit mm-hmm. yeah i mean his whole persona is just so based off of like the images of like humphrey bogart or yeah. like you know again that they go see a western later right like mm-hmm. Everything about him is just so surface level. And when she does try to engage him in any sort of like conversation that's slightly philosophical, his right. answers are always just so <laughs> dumb, for a lack of a better word, right? That's like, true, yeah. Because I believe she's the one who asked him about, like, she mentions that Faulkner line about, like, mm-hmm. I would rather have grief than nothing. Than no grief and, at all. Or, yeah. Nothing. And, yeah. Yeah, and she um, says, you know, what do you think? And he's like, eh, grief's dumb. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now mm-hmm. take off your top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's like pawing yeah. at her the whole time, and like, yeah, there are multiple. It's kind times of funny. Like, there are a lot of parts where like he like grabs her skirt and like does get a peek, and she always slaps him. Yeah, and it's like well, three, there at is least that part three times grabs a, when he grabs a random lady's skirt. How about that? That makes me laugh every time I watch that. Just that random, he just runs out out of nowhere and just lifts that lady's skirt up. 
It is, kind of, it is a very funny cutaway, though, right? He and has face- impulse <laughs> control issues. Yes. And based but off, like, like how, how this was filmed, which was kind of like, you know, literally on the street, I, I'm pretty sure that woman was not uh, a part of the crew. Uh, just is a this random just a random woman? Yeah, I feel like it had to be a random woman. Well, I think you, it could be, right? Yep. And boy, that would I be quite the surprise. Um, but on what we were talking about, and then Joel mentioned something earlier about how there's a lot of times like it's, they spend an hour in that room almost, right? But they don't really have a conversation with each other. They have conversations at each other, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like he keeps getting this feeling that like, oh, I really love this girl. And like he's falling for her and everything. But she, I don't think she thinks the same way. Because like he doesn't listen to her. And when he does, and when she forces an answer out of him, it's usually dumb. Like it is with like, oh yeah, you know, I, grief is stupid type mm-hmm. of answer to everything, right? Yes. So like the whole time, because she constantly says a thing for her is like, I want to hang out with somebody to know if I actually love them. And she says that about her author friend, right? Yeah. The man she was dating. Uh, and that's eventually how it ends with her saying to Michelle, like, oh, I called the cops because, like, I stayed with you to think about, do I really like you? And mm, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't want to spend time with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is this like he thinks this is such a deep relationship? And I guess you could say, like, the audience is kind of fooled into thinking it is as well mm-hmm. because they're actually not listening to what she's saying. Right. No, I, I think that's a great yeah. point. Yep. Absolutely. For sure. Um, do you, um, do you guys think that John Paul Bermondo does a good performance as uh this like aloof dumbass? Well, I yeah. hated him. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he's great in this movie. I think both the the leads are fantastic. So I think that's yeah. kind of if they weren't, this movie wouldn't work. I I mm. completely agree with that. I, I could. I could uh, spend quite some time with the, both these characters. Uh, I, I, you know, the thing is, is I find their beauty on screen, and I, I find them both charismatic, and I could just uh, live in that space personally. Mm. And do you feel mm. sad when he actually dies at the end? I uh, personally don't. Not really. No, I feel like I feel like Patricia, right? Like I yeah. just kind of yeah. am like so indifferent to it like well how it was going to end up this way regardless right right yeah i i was too busy laughing uh <laughs> not because it the i mean i i couldn't help it and it's not with him marching down the street you know with the the gun wound directly in the buttocks or wherever it is uh it's fine that's that's fine with him walking towards the end of the road there but when they turn around and she is slowly walking towards him, you know, kind of with a slight concerned look on her face. And there's just a car behind her that's, I guess, has the patience of a god. Because yeah. not <laughs> honking his horn like, crazy lady, get out of the way. Uh, I, I just couldn't help but laugh. And when he falls over, he, he's in such a splayed manner that... I, it's, I mean, it's realistic that you would fall that way. Nobody falls in a perfect, you know, ready, ready to get inserted into the corpse box or a coffin. I guess they're called whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it made me laugh. And he is such a dislikable character. Like, 
But I think because he is so he's misogynistic and he's not thoughtful and he is uh, constantly lying that the few times when he does show vulnerability, I think it does actually work very well. And that's that's the actor. You know, the actor is really good. Yeah, he's still still alive, still kicking. And he's in his 80s and has a child who's under 20. Oh, wow. Named Spencer Seams. No, No, he had a kid in his (laughs) 70s. (laughs) Wow. Another thing I I really admire about uh, Belmondo in this film is, and I agree with you, Joel, about, uh, you know, he he is not a likable character, but, but I guess why I enjoy that performance so much is, is he has such a a carefree attitude like he's he's doing these crimes but like there's no like uh, anxiety or any any type of fear really displayed on him throughout the film he's just like really just going about his day-to-day life other than you know obviously trying to hide which is is a thing but it just seems like he's a very cool customer, and and I I, I respond to that with his uh, character in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, I go back to like what Spencer said, where would you kick him out of your room, right? Mm-hmm. And the answer for her is why? Why didn't she kick him out of the room? Because he's a good looking guy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, sure. And, like he's there. She's using him for her purposes, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, she doesn't really think much of him. And I think, like, as we go on in the movie, we also don't think much of him. We think, like, yeah, he's a cool guy. He's a good-looking guy. But, like, Mm -hmm. would I want to be around him for more than a weekend? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) She she takes what he's saying at face value, even when it's obvious that he's just trying to manipulate her into sleeping with him or giving him at least the benefit of the doubt. You know, saying like, I love you and I, you know, I think you're beautiful and like, I also think you're ugly, but I can't stop, you know, looking or whatever. He you know, keeps constantly changing his mind. And when she, you know, says to him, like, I don't know if I love you or not, but I'm interested. You know, that's it's like this yeah. scientific study yeah. for her, which, you know, yeah, it's interesting you say that, Joel, because then I think about that conversation she has with her coworker, Right. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to put on that type of Michelle cool right with oh i talked to this lady and you know we didn't have sex and then i sent her a letter later saying we should have and she thought the same thing like he's trying to put on that cool attitude but like she just doesn't buy it and like when you look at how she acts with michelle she doesn't buy his bullshit either she's kind of just like yeah whatever you know he's gonna do his thing i think this guy's good looking i'll let him stay with me for the weekend but like i have no intentions on bringing it past this point mm-hmm. because he also asks her constantly like how many men have you slept with right. and all this and she's like oh you know i slept with like six guys in new york it wasn't <laughs> too many mm-hmm. but like she has no problem just telling him and like he is just another one of those guys right like he is yeah. not something special to her yeah yeah I, uh, I think, uh, I, oh, I have a feeling VR's answer, but do you think when he basically says like he's slept with like dozens of women, do you think he's serious or do you think it's all bullshit? I think it's bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like he seemed to wave it out the window <laughs> and three women showed up. So I don't. 
<laughs> I think there are a few women who will fall for his act, but most of them are a little bit smarter than that. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like uh, he's just uh, to quote a great movie, um, The Greasy Strangler. He's a bullshit artist. Oh yeah, no, he is, and like I think that that's what he gets. Like maybe he sleeps with women, but none of them take him seriously. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to be a real smoothie, but he's a he's bullshit <laughs> artist. Yeah, they know he's a goof, though. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, so he's going to get so far, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and he drives really nice cars occasionally. <laughs> and he also has that bizarre rant at the end where he says, you're like all those girls that never sleep with the guy who actually likes them. Yep. <laughs> Which I was like, where is this coming from? That right? made me angry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He really has some degrading remarks about her throughout the film. Uh, which, when he calls her an 8 out of 10, I was like, man, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Uh, his strong opinions on <laughs> where the good-looking girls actually are. Mm-hmm. I would you just reach through the screen and start <laughs> slapping him. Yes, like you're fucking you don't deserve to talk to this person <laughs> why don't you go jump under a bus absolutely <laughs> you guys uh something miraculous is happening uh i gave this two and a half out of yeah. five on letterbox i'm changing it to three out of five oh, wow. because even that? though i did not enjoy the movie I do think that this, even just having this like uh, discussion that we're having now, is worth the effort because, like, there are a lot of things we're we're tearing into it. <laughs> even Spencer, who has now seen it twice and still doesn't like it, <laughs> I gave it a two out, two point five out of five. There's a lot of meat it's on this animal, like a, a of, like yeah. a Neil Breen movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, one thing I, I did want to mention when we were talking a little bit about uh, other people in the film, I, I feel I'd feel remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Gadar himself makes a cameo in the film. Uh, did you guys notice that? Uh, Spencer was uh, saying it was one of the informants, right? Yeah, he's listed as like an informant or informer. Yeah, he is actually the guy. So when uh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you mentioned it earlier. So I apologize if I'm going over this again but uh, i couldn't find him in the movie uh so he is uh when there's a a point where uh michelle has stolen another car and patricia patricia is with him uh they pull off uh on the side to go inside a building and as they do patricia goes inside she comes back out when she comes out, we see a man with glass with sunglasses on reading a newspaper. Mm. He sees uh, the face of Michelle in the newspaper and then realizes who he is. And he sees Patricia go back in the car with him. And then he lets the police know oh. uh, that uh, that oh, is. Yeah, that was. So uh, she, he's the, the witness that they talk yes, about. Yes, he's the witness. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. yes. I didn't even realize that had actually happened. I thought that the police officers who I was like, are these police officers or mafia? That's kind of weird. But yeah, when they were saying that, I thought they were just lying. It is random kind of, it's hard to uh, fully realize who, what, who the detectives and police officers are in this. They, they are a bit uh, different looking, all of them. (laughs) Yeah. 
I feel like that's you know a budgetary thing or whatever mm-hmm. because like we're not even flashing badges, we're not declaring right. ourselves the police. We're just walking up and being like, "Hey, I saw you with this person." And like yeah. it, it seems like everybody's like immediately like, "Oh, yes, that's a police officer <laughs> talking to me." Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yeah. But uh I don't have much to say. Like uh, <laughs> I've said everything I had to say like I appreciate the influence, like watching this this first second time, like I see some stuff Spike Lee did with like um in the beginning, like he's playing like with a gun and you get gun sound effects as he's playing mm-hmm. with a gun, which he yeah. which is in Mal- Malcolm X in the mm-hmm. Boston segment when he's a teenager. And then mm-hmm. there's uh there's another big Spike Lee thing. Um I think it's when um uh Michelle is like uh like uh I guess I think he's trying to seduce uh Patricia again and he's saying like pretty face, pretty hands or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's kinda like in do the right thing with yeah. like the ice cube sequence. Just and just some general other stuff is like oh of like clearly like, you know, the influence is everywhere down to like uh a lot of it feels like kinda like Scorsese. Like I, you can just go on and on. But yeah. so, like I just see like the D- the DNA of so much of stuff, uh, like you know, even that, uh, uh, to now, like yeah, a lot of people saw this movie or saw something that was directly influenced by this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Tino you know, is the obvious one, but you know, but that's kind of the elephant in the room. Yeah. Why? Well, uh, go ahead. You know, I think largely with the. With this movie and the French New Wave in general, right? Like, you broke rules. And it was so different. And, uh, you know, even what we were talking about when we saw it in film school, it was, even though this is a movie from 1960, it's something I'd never seen before, mm-hmm. right? And even though I've seen things that are influenced by it, I've never seen this. It's just yes. so different from most other movies, right? And, like, when you watch more French New Wave, obviously you see a lot of trends and everything like that. But, like, for example, seeing the jump cut. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you know, I actually wanted to talk about the editing, so I'm glad you brought that up. Just for American audiences, and I guess audiences in general, that's a jarring thing, right? Like, we're Mm -hmm. not used to just cutting within a scene to a different part of the scene, right? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. It's what we're told never to do. Right. But that when somebody breaks those rules, and again, we break another, we break a huge rule in this movie where somebody breaks the fourth wall. Oh, big time. In the movie, she looks right at the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And then the beginning as well, uh, Ghadar in his vehicle as he's driving uh, talks to the audience as well. Yeah, you're right. He's narrating the whole Mm -hmm. time, right? Not not to mention the 180 rule, which just gets shattered. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Throw that out the window, right? (laughs) But it's interesting you mentioned that they do that in the beginning, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're immediately taken out of it and know this is a movie. Yeah. Like You're breaking all those conventions of American cinema, and you're saying this is something that you have not seen before and has not been done. Yeah. And they're establishing it early. But what I think is so interesting is that by the end, when she looks at the character and asks you guys, do you really feel sympathy when Michelle died? You don't. And when she looks right at you, it's kind of like a shared emotion. Right. 
which I think is really interesting because like technically according to, you know, our conventional film rules, that should not work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that that was making me think of uh speaking of Joan of Arc, that that one uh passion is a passion of yeah. you know what I'm talking about. The twenties one? Yes. With mm -hmm. her you know, the the eyes staring basically at at the camera. Mm -hmm. you know kind of thing and that's that's the same way it's like are are you judging me is this is yeah. this a thing like what am i supposed to be thinking right now and just hold on it or something that was directly and obviously directly inspired by breathless the graduate you know at the end right. where we're just holding on mm -hmm. them like yeah. what yeah. am i supposed to be feeling yeah and i love that also in that last shot where where she does uh where she puts her lip over her or her thumb over her lip uh the same way that michelle has been doing it throughout the whole film and oh, that's yeah. because his soul has left his body and entered hers, and now she has two personalities. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Breathless <Exactly>. two. <laughs> so what uh, I think is so. I, I, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I realize this takes the uh, the Hitchcock quote, the Hitchcock quote about movies, um, literally, where it's like all you need is a girl and a gun, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this and and like uh, this is literally just a girl and a gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of real quick I wanted to mention uh, on kind of on the editing side uh, watching this a few times in a row here did did you guys get a feel for um, the the rhythm of the editing especially when uh, when he edits more quick or has more jump cuts compared to uh, the long takes and the tracking shots. Uh, I was just going to say one thing that I took note was really the, the jazz score a lot of times will build as as the jump cuts and the quick cuts happen more often. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's there's really no music at all during the tracking shots and long takes. And I was I was just curious if you guys had mm -hmm. any thoughts on that. You know, I didn't notice that, but that's an interesting point, right? Yeah, I didn't like really we, notice either. Yeah, when he's introducing music into it, right? Some of it diegetic, some not. Right. Increasing the editing. I, you know, I didn't think about it. Now i got to watch this movie again. Yeah. And no <laughs> reason, I, I mean, I've, I've seen it a number of times, but I, I watched it back to back here in the last two days. And I, the, the first time I just kind of watched it re to refresh my memory. And on the second time, I was really trying to dive in a bit deeper. And, and that's something I really took note of watching it uh, the second time. Um, so I, I think that's that's very key in, in the in the rhythm of the film. Hmm. I wonder uh, if it's like to to ease the the shock of like doing jump cuts mm -hmm. right and quick editing. Uh, and and I will say now there are moments where he does uh, do some of those jump cuts where, where there is um, a longer take or silence. In particular, when she's talking to her uh, kind of. Uh, the journalist uh, quote unquote boyfriend when they're at that uh, diner having their meeting uh, mm -hmm. there, there's a longer take there with no music. And then it, it does have like a number of quick jump cuts out of nowhere. So that did throw me off a little bit on my, on my, on my theory here. But other than that, for the most part, I, I think it stays close to that rhythm. Hmm. Hmm. Right. You know, it's interesting to like think of that scene and compare it to the scene with her and Michelle in the room that goes on. I mean, it's the longest scene in this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
But to think like we couldn't get out of that conversation with her and that journalist quick enough, right? And like <laughs> to cut in it, like, yeah, it's all just a bunch of bullshit and we don't care. We know this guy doesn't matter to her. Like, get it over with type of style, right? Mm-hmm. But then we willingly sit there and watch her and Michelle talk against each other for what seems like a half hour. Sure. Yeah. 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 That bridge, like, basically that is the bridge of the movie because uh, I watched this in two parts because I was too stoned to continue at a certain (laughs) point. But uh, it was like, you know, 45 and 45, uh, basically. And that was... In, he's in the apartment, you know, falling in love with her and she's still testing him. And like when I think about it, it feels like all the action in the beginning is this kind of like ramping up to like where we're going, where we're going. And then we stopped for a while. Like, was that movie even happening? Like you said, the, the cop death feels almost inconsequential because like, mm-hmm. what what is he doing? Like the stealing the cars, the being an, a, a criminal, you know, mm-hmm. with the underlying criminal. Yeah. And then once I leave the apartment, then we start rolling downhill. It's like, okay, things are actually happening. You know, people are looking for him. He's trying to get money from this guy. I, I, when he finds that guy, I'm like, oh, good. He's going to shoot him. Like, no, this is just his pal who happens to owe him money. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Joel, when you mentioned that, like that being like the bridge of the movie, right? Because we're thinking this is going to be like a guy on the run type of movie. Right. That's how it's set up. But then, like Michel himself, we just get sidetracked into whatever is convenient at the moment or whatever he's interested in the moment. And that's like just hanging out with Patricia for a long time. Right. Like his new goal all of a sudden becomes like, "Eh, I don't care about running from the cops anymore. I'm interested in this girl, at least for the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have 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 anyone seen the remake with Richard Gere from the eighties? Oh no, I have no. not. I also <laughs> no. would not kick him out of bed though. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me there's a remake of Breathless. I am not interested. <laughs> uh, apparently, Tarantino is a fan of it, but he likes a lot of things. So I don't know what that <laughs> means exactly. <laughs> Richard Gere had a weird career, man. Doing this, and then he was in that Kurosawa movie. Like, oh, wow. yeah. Where he plays someone who's half Japanese. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that has a weird turn. I mean, he's good in the movie. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it's a, you know, he, he's good and it. It's just like, I don't know. No, uh, yeah, like, and that's, that's, a, that's a solid movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I mostly familiar with him with his, you know, Julia Roberts fair and stuff like that. It's like, I wonder if I take a bigger picture of what he was actually doing and has been doing, if I'm going to see like uh you know way more interesting things it's i just think american gigolo and then uh pretty woman that's it yeah that about covers it uh the and the musical (laughs) you hate chicago oh yeah chicago and and hatchy the a dog's journey or whatever it is and obviously dr t and the women oh i'm very sorry robert all right uh this is uh I feel like we're wrapping up, but a couple dumb things that I noticed was was uh, one uh, uh, the Melville sequence when he's kind of being this like charming misogynist uh, and like kind of like uh, 
uh, like, it, like he's like, like doing a tight five almost, and it feels like <laughs> kind of Paul Mooney ish, and like 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 the persona he he's doing feels like what Paul Mooney does with his stand up and like on Chappelle show. Mm. Yeah, I can say that. <laughs> what a bizarre <laughs> sequence! Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the movie the movie theater chase. I feel like um, uh, Al um, reference that with Ador, with the sequence of the two, spoiler alert, the two serial killers chasing each other around Madrid, and they end up chasing each other around in a, in a movie theater. Mm. Mm. I could say that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, and Mike, on the grind band, you keep saying the high five was invented in the 70s. <laughs> well, you, you get a high five in this movie. Yeah, that was weird. I was like, <laughs> hmm. When, when does a high five occur? Uh, it's towards the end. Yeah. No, yeah. I did note it. And I didn't think about that, this being in 1960. So, you know, Spencer, you want to know why Breathless is so revered. It invented That's the high why. five. Yeah. <laughs> Among many terrible, terrible things that people started imitating, the one good thing that came out of it was a high five. <laughs> the high five, guys. So was this yeah. like... I the, look at it as... <laughs> Apparently, the high five was invented. The first ever high five appears to have happened in 1977 during a baseball game. It was the oh. Dodgers versus the Astros. After a home run, oh, Dusty Baker right. high fived his teammate Glenn Burke. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the news <laughs> the journalist ran down. What the hell was that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, high five. It was, uh, my hand was high. I got five fingers. What do you want to know? That's always been my thing. It's like, was just just like mind blowing to the audience and the journalists at the time. They're like, wait, hold on, it wasn't a handshake. They they touched hands. They were all open. I I don't know that what I'd happening. call it. And Godard's just over in France, being like, oh come on. Yeah, got his legs crossed, smoking his cigarette. Like, I think it, because it happened during a sports event, uh, people were like, oh, finally a way I can touch a different another man for less time. None of this handshake crap anymore. Just slap, we're done. That's where it came from, yeah. How can I touch a man for less amount of time? I don't want anyone to think I'm gay, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, John uh, Belmondo, uh, get over here. <laughs> John, John Paul. So, uh, 1977's baseball game between the Dodgers and Astros, you hack. Oh, man. Nothing but lies. That guy was a huge (laughs) Breathless fan. (laughs) No one can know. Yeah, Dusty Baker, huge guitar fan. You know, nobody knew it. (laughs) And uh, another quick thing was that they mentioned uh, on the radio that uh, Eisenhower's meeting with uh, Charles de Gaulle, who was kind of a a dictator of France for a long time, that like a lot, I feel like a lot of Americans don't really know after World War II. He kind of became like. The, the president for a little too long and kind of did some thing. He is a he is a war hero, so like of course like you, you can imagine where his politics were, mm. and like uh he's kind of like uh you know a little a little on the right uh apparently. Yeah, yeah Eisenhower uh, is a war hero too, wasn't he? Yes, Kedar he was. very much uh was was a right wing for uh especially early in his his life it, it seems. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think around the late seventies, it really takes a turn, especially with the weekend. I think you get a, a, a turn towards Marxism, and and then when he starts doing his uh, work with uh, oh the Ziga Vertov group, group, I believe that they, uh, he really starts 
leaning more more left. So that's my understanding anyway. I have no idea if that is completely right, but that's that's what I've gathered. Yeah. Yeah. Spencer, have you seen Weekend? Um, no. I think I you should might check wa- that one out. I, I, if, still... you, if you don't like Breathless, I think you should give Weekend a try. It's a it's a very different movie. Mm. It is. I'll give it a shot. It is a. I mean, I it is I a like trip. my life to like uh, my life to live, which is kind of his take on like uh on like a Japanese melodrama kind of sort of. Mm. It's kind of like, weird. Yeah. It, it's like um. Uh, it's like you know when like Polanski does comedies. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of Godard doing a very dark comedy. Yeah. Oh, kind of like yeah, I, the I'd agree with that. The I consider it to be a dark comedy. Like, listen, in you, some parts. You guys don't. I know you don't know Spencer as well as I do. We got to figure. You want to tell me which Godard movie most resembles Pee Wee's Big Top or Big Top Pee Wee? Because oh, that's weekend, that's the one he sure. makes. <laughs> okay. I agree. Weekend. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That, Spencer is, uh, cannot stop talking about it. <laughs> Weekend I'm, is is an insane film that that I hope you guys uh, cover at some point or at least watch. Uh, it's it uh, whether you like it or not. I don't. I believe it's one you won't forget. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'd All be right. interested. You bring us back for weekend, Spencer. Uh, uh, sounds good yeah, to me. I, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can fit that on a schedule. But uh, was it? Uh, uh, where is it? Uh, okay, yeah, I got, oh, um, fuck, what was it? I, I, yeah, I got nothing else. Okay. But, um, <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, Sorry, you'll just uh, jump cut that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, uh, Nolan, so, um, uh, we're yes. gonna, uh, 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 do you like what we, what you guys do on Cinema Parlor, uh, Fuck, Mary Kill. Oh, uh, all John right. Paul, well, this uh, Michelle, is very exciting. Fitch, Patricia and um, the dog that they see at the theater. No, uh, no. <laughs> uh, the, art, the author. They, no, the first girl. Let's think it easier. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Well, okay. Whew, I always have to think hard on these. It's, it's a lot of pressure. Okay. You, I am. I am going to. Hmm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna kill the first girl. Uh, <laughs> You know, she, I, I I enjoy her. She is is beautiful, but uh, you know, I just I have more of more stronger feelings towards our main characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to fuck Patricia. Uh, I find her. Uh, I, I think she's a lovely person and very beautiful. And I'm going to marry. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and marry uh, Michelle because uh, we're just we're going to have. Um, you know, a quick life together, but, but it'll be adventurous. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the sex will be great. Uh, uh, he'll look, he'll look wonderful next to me. What can I say? Uh, so that's, that's the way I'm going with this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not doing this. So, okay. Fine. <laughs> In order. First girl, Patricia, Michelle. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you honestly, uh, I think, Okay, I I will marry the first woman because I know nothing about her. Therefore, I don't hate her. 
as opposed to Seberg's character, who I don't hate, but I think I would probably go insane from the conversations we would have. So I'm going to have to kill her. And uh, mm. yeah, Belmondo, we're just we're just going to do it real quick, you know. And you know, <laughs> nobody nobody talks about it. We don't make eye contact. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of high fives, and we're done. Love it. <laughs> I got I got to go with uh, yours, Joel. Uh, very nice. I mean, that's a one done with with Michelle, and I'm sure it'd just be, and he'd move on after that. <laughs> and I feel bad for killing uh, Patricia, but it's you know, she wearing like an ennui bulletproof vest, so it'd probably be difficult to kill her anyways. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah, back in Breathless too, with the soul of uh, Michelle. Yeah, breathless mm-hmm. too. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, Nolan, I was planning on pulling a Stacy and asking if he got hard during the movie, but <laughs> it's too classy. We're, we're, know, not on, we're not on Cinema Parlor, so I, we I don't tried, have to I get into that. I tried to bring the class with this one. I was, I was trying to to, uh, to take that uh, that Cinema Parlor persona away, but, I mean, if look, I, I didn't get hard this time. Um, it was <laughs> okay. close, you know, but, but, no, but no, not this time. Mm, all right. Maybe when we when you're back on for weekend, it'll be a different story. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that that might be. I honestly can't wait for you to watch that movie, Spencer. <laughs> it's so different than this movie. <laughs> Three hours from now, Mike's going to be sitting by himself, laughing about and just to himself about Spencer <laughs> possibly watching that movie. <laughs> no, it's going to be on the schedule uh, in a in a. In a uh, while from now, but it's going to be on there. Oh, it's going to be on there now for sure. <laughs> Bring, and, bringing these two back. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and uh, what was it? So, 1960 is kind of a big year for movies. So, yes. what came out that year? You want to know see. my pick? Yeah. Little Shop of Horrors, the Roger Corbin version. I I used to have that on DVD, but I I, I actually haven't seen got rid of it. Oh, that's a fun one. Well, I mean, it's it's not a musical, but you know, I've seen it, but it's been quite some time. I mean, how how similar in plot is it to the musical version? Pretty similar. So uh, I think you should watch it. Okay. You know who's the star of that movie, right? If it's not Rick Moranis, I'm not interested. <laughs> no, it's not. He's not the star, though, but it's got 19, Dick Miller. Which 1960, when he was 30. Yeah, right. Dick Miller is great. And it's got Jack Nicholson in it. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A... The famous dentist scene, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do love uh, Dick Miller. Yeah, Dick Miller, you know, classic Roger Corbin. Yeah, speaking of not kicking somebody out of bed, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bucket of blood, Dick Miller. Am I right? Oh man, he he can sculpt me anytime. <laughs> Want me to go? Who's going next? Uh, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, yeah. I, I'll I'll bring a couple to the uh, to the discussion here. My first one is uh, the Bellboy, directed by Jerry Lewis. Uh, I I am a sucker for. Uh, Physical comedy. Uh, I I am quite a fan of Jerry Lewis, and this this film just makes me laugh. It's kind of it's another like kind of almost plotless movie about uh, just Jerry Lewis's bellboy character going through a, a bunch of different events at this hotel, mm-hmm. and just a bunch of different uh, extravag extravaganzas of sorts. I guess I don't know, but um, 
it's a it's a fun movie. Uh, I think it's also a precursor to uh, What's Up, Doc, the Bogdanovich movie, which uh, I'm mixed on, but I I, I think uh, this had a big influence on it. So, but uh, it's a movie uh, that makes me laugh and I enjoy myself while watching. Also, it's one of those uh, movies doesn't overstay its welcome. Seventy two minutes. Right. Long. Yeah. It's, it's very in short. and out. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Very good point. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Anybody else uh, have any thoughts on the Bellboy? The only Jerry Lewis movie I've seen from this era is uh, Who's Minding the Store, and that is another under under an hour and a half. It might it might even be mm-hmm. under an hour. I'm not sure, but it is just like a series of pratfalls happen. No no real plot, and very very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, th- another one I will name here is uh, Purple, Purple Noon, directed by Rene Clement, uh, based off the story by Patricia Highsmith. And this uh, obviously follows the Ripley character. Uh, and uh, I quite enjoy this movie. Uh, it's, I would say, uh, it really makes the makes the character not I, I i don't believe it's quite as as queer reading as some of the other uh ripley movies i don't know what you guys think or if you've seen it but uh, i still find it uh, a quite interesting movie yeah i mean he's ripley in this is a cool uh frenchman like in uh, the version with Matt Damon, like he starts off as kind of, a, a, I mean, he starts off as a super awkward nerd and, you know, right. as he's kind of adapting his personality mm-hmm. to whatever he's, he's doing, he becomes cooler. But yep. in this one, the, you know, the main guy can't help but start off as cool, but right. also weird. Yeah. And, and Elaine Delon, I, I've got a, I should have mentioned him. He plays uh, Tom Ripley and another just a gorgeous actor. And uh, really, uh, I find a lot of similarities with and somewhat with with Michelle's character and that he's doing like a, a lot of like terrible things. But like uh, he has no uh, emotion really or, or sense of that he's doing anything wrong throughout the film. And uh, uh, he's very, very charismatic as well. And uh yeah, I, I really, really enjoy the film. I just watched it for the first time a couple weeks ago, so oh. I would highly recommend it uh, if no one has seen it. That mm-hmm. one is well, is coming up in the future at some point, but uh, you should listen to the Pink Smoke podcast because they did a couple. Did they do an episode? Epi- they did a couple episodes on on Highsmith books. Okay. Highsmith is a fascinating woman. Yeah. She was very unpleasant and kind of gross. Which just makes her even more interesting. I, I will. You have sparked sparked my interest. I will definitely check uh, check those out. Thank you, Spencer. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, they did uh, two of her books so far, but um, like she like she's hailed as like this like this like great female uh, author, but like she what like uh, like she is what we would call now problematic for a mm-hmm. lot of reasons. But that doesn't take away from her uh, her contributions to like to like great literature, mm-hmm. like great books and all that stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, those those are I I can, I can throw out one more. If, I don't know how many you want in this section, 
But uh, no, it's fine. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll throw out one more. Uh, I'll throw out the Brides of Dracula, directed by Terrence Fisher, which mm. is uh, probably my favorite Hammer film. Uh, mm. So uh, I, the uh, the cinematography and, and the gothic imagery, I think, is uh, lush. And uh, you know what can I say? I, I love the aesthetic, and uh, it suits me. So yeah, I, I, I enjoy myself watching this movie. Yeah, can't go well. You can't go wrong. Some hammer, but yeah. most hammer is good. That's true. Yes, at least at least visually interesting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so I'll, uh, there's I'll some. There. There. There's no Christopher <laughs> Lee in that one, right? No, they're, they're, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, do you get of uh, uh, the better um, uh, uh, Grandmoth Tarkin? I forgot his name. No, uh, yeah, he's still in it. Uh... Well, now I'm drawing, drawing a blank. Also, Peter yeah. Cushing. Cushing. Yes, Peter yes. Cushing. Yes, Peter Cushing is in it, and uh, he he is the Doctor Van Helsing character, and uh, yes, yes, he is. That's cool. great as always. Yeah, Cushing always gave it 110 percent, even if it's something that's clearly beneath him. That he did. <laughs> Unlike Cushing, where and Christopher Lee could tell when he didn't, when he gave a shit, and when he didn't. Right. What are you talking about? <laughs> I can't think of a movie where where I would, you know, it's Christopher Lee. Can tell when he cares. You talking about like uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something? I don't. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he is just kind of phoning it in there, but like. He's got three. Christopher Lee like, always cares, okay? Howling 2, great performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um. You say okay, the Hobbit so movies where he doesn't stand up, but that's because he was like, you know, 98 years old. <laughs> I mean, he, he's also yeah, too tall. What if he, he could? Make everyone, <laughs> made everyone look too short. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> my first one, my first pick for 1960 is Inherit the Wind. It's a Spencer Tracy movie. Okay. About with Gene Kelly and Frederick March, and it's about the Scopes Monkey Trial. And I haven't seen it, oh. but I used to work at a place where one of the residents was one of the security guards at I don't know what studio it was. At um, it was a Fox movie. I'm pretty sure. A vivid video. No. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, but but this guy. Uh, he like he was a, a circus strongman for a time. Then he be, went from that to being like a security guard for the Fox Studio in the fifties and sixties. He was and La Strada. He, uh, kind of was his life for a bit, actually. Radical. <laughs> but but he is in the hair, the wind, uh, and like a he's a featured extra. And I think he has a single line, and uh, yeah, he just had. A lot of cool Hollywood stories, but he kind of went moved to another facility. Uh, so I, I haven't heard any more stories from him. That's but, cool. Uh, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Can, I, can I tell a, uh, a, a story that uh, is kind of similar to this, Spencer, that I am never going to have the opportunity to tell anywhere else? Uh, yeah. So uh, my one of my jobs or one of the things I used to do in my job until COVID was I would go into people's houses and install printers or uh, new computers for them. And uh, I was at this lady's house and she's got, you know, a pretty big house, like lots of books and things like that. And in the room where I was installing the computer, 
she had a signed picture of Professor Takanawa from, you know, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and um, The Running Man. Uh, Wait, the you know wrestler? What? Yes, the actor, the Asian actor wrestler guy. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Was she like, did she know this guy or something like that? I was like excited to hear a story about this. So when the lady who had left me in the room installing the printer came back in, I was like, oh, that's that's I know who this guy is. That's really cool. How'd you know him? He's like, oh, I was a nurse at a hospital and he stayed there and he just gave he gave that to all the nurses. I was like, oh, OK, well, this was the most exciting day of my life anyway. <laughs> oh, um, at a home I used to work at a few years before. Uh, I, I think as when we did the Cursosities, and one of the residents was Ryan Philippi's grandma, because Ryan Philippi, in case you didn't know, is from Delaware. Oh, yeah, and I don't know if he ever visited or not, Delaware? but he used to have a home there. Uh, I knew some Mormons at the first high school I went to who lived near his house, his Delaware house, but they only use it for the summers apparently. Hmm. Yeah. So, did you have a movie you'd actually seen from 1968? <laughs> yes, I just wanted to bring up this the, my my old resident friend. He's a cool dude. Yeah, that's cool. I won't get into why he left because uh, uh, it, it gets weird and personal. But uh, all right, this is a separate okay. podcast. Okay, first off, the Playgirls and the Vampire. It's a gothic Italian kind of cheapy horror movie. It's 70 minutes long, and I had no expectations. I had no idea what to expect, and it's it's like light and fun, and it's a pretty like like fun little like Italian horror movie. But I love Italian horror movies, so I'm kind of biased. But uh, uh, it, it if you're in the mood for checking out like like the B tier uh, uh, of that era, that's not Vava or uh, other or uh, the other big names like you no. Know, it's a it's a good one. Um, I've not heard that one, so I will have to chest, check that one out. There's a lot of these like kind of like seventy minute short gothic horror movies okay. from Italy from the, from the early sixties. Okay, shoot the piano player, which is probably, probably my favorite French New Wave movie and a title um, reference for the for the season. Never. Uh, <laughs> well, it's really good. Huh? Uh, a movie. Excellent film. And Joel, a movie you bought me on Blu-ray, oh. My Tokyo Guy, which was on the the Diamond Guys Nikatsu box set. Cool. Which, uh, uh, which all of them are at least entertaining and good. A couple are great, but they're all just these poppy fun, like um, Japanese like gangster movies from the late fifties and early sixties. And if you're into those types of movies, um, watch Tokyo Mighty Guy, and you get to see. Wait, is he? No, Joshua Shido is in at least maybe four of the movies in the box set in Volume One and Two combined. Mm-hmm. And you get to see young Joshua Shido before, uh, not 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 pre surgery, but before he's like a a star. star. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I... in fact. Oh, I was just gonna say I, I have both of those, uh, those Arrow. I think Arrow put those out. I have both those box sets. But I've, speaking of uh, how Joel said, I think earlier in the episode about having Blu-rays just collect dust on your shelf. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, that that's me with with both of those volumes. So I need to go through those at some point. <laughs> uh, there's my favorite one on that set is one with um, it's basically like Batman sixty six. It was like a Yakuza comedy, and it's it's very goofy. And like, and all the assassins have different like dumb gimmicks. And Joshua Shido is the only assassin who actually uses a, a gun, and is always uh, successful. And it's like it's a whole lot of fun. It's it's in one of those That's box sets. Okay. But um, and last one is when a woman ascends the stairs, the Mikio Naruse mm-hmm. movie. It's uh co-stars Tatsuya Nakadai and it's I don't remember much of the movie besides just really loving it and uh, this is when Nakadai was always playing villains and it starts out like oh he's a good guy until it's like oh he actually is playing like a villain secretly the whole time mm-hmm. which is not really a spoiler because it's Nakadai you, you see him in a movie uh, from the late 50s or 60s, and it's like, well, he's gonna do something shitty at some point, and he does live up to that, uh, uh, you know, that 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 character type he was doing at the time, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a great movie, J Dog. Oh, somebody's texting me, <clears throat> I turn that off. Uh, so I, I put this in order of like the movies I've seen since we saw Jugoku, which was probably the last time I, wa- I talked about 1960 movies. So we already talked Purple Noon. Great movie. I recommend it also. Other than that, uh, I saw The Magnificent Seven, uh, which I think in, in general is considered a solid Western. Like I, I liked it, I, but I can't really remember. It has Bronson, early right, Bronson. Bronson. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, my favorite Mexican actor, Eli Wallach, um, and uh, Yul Brynner. Yes, that was a joke. Nobody, nobody responded. I, I know he's not actually Mexican, but he plays one in <laughs> what is it? The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, yeah, and Yul Brynner doing that thing he does. Uh, yeah, it, it's just solid performances all around, and it's a lot of fun. An easy watch. Um, and the only other thing I've seen is Eyes Without a Face. Uh, which was disturbing and i really appreciate it like and it's a beautiful film and haunting and more violent than i thought and it's got a bunch of dogs in cages which makes me extremely sad mm-hmm. but what else is there to say yeah. great you, great you we're going to cover that you were going to cover that i hope you know that i did not know that uh, I want to try to get as much as much French horror as I can because right. it's not that much French horror from this time period. So you kind of gotta go with what's available, and that's uh, well, get get uh, get used to. It. We're gonna watch that a second time. Well, you are. Yeah, that's fine with me. I like it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's it. Um, Nolan, Star Parlor. Um, yes. What's coming up around? February time. Yes, yeah, so Cinema Parlor, well, as I said, I think earlier uh, that on the show that, uh, or I can't remember if I said this while we were talking beforehand, but uh, we've got our episodes planned through December. Um, right now, I believe uh, we did a film noir episode in November on uh, the Coen Brothers' uh, first film. Uh, someone help me, please. My mind's going Blood blank. Bowl. What's that? 
Blood Simple. Blood Simple. Thank you. Yes. So uh, that was our last episode we did. And uh, we've got uh, kind of a, a Christmas-themed episode coming out here in December. And, uh, you know, probably in, in January and February, we're, we'll, we'll probably release some some fun genre stuff. I've got a little bit of an idea of my birthday is in January. And uh, I've got a little bit of an idea of uh, maybe us watching uh, some movies that I curate and uh, for like a, a, a special Nolan birthday episode that might be kind of fun. So uh, that's about as far in advance as we've got at this point. But uh, we do uh, a couple episodes a month, and uh, uh, we have a lot of fun over there. So I, I hope uh, some of you people uh, check out the show. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I highly recommend the Batman um, Schumacher episodes, <laughs> yes. uh, movies episode. That was a fun one. Yes. And, th- thank you. <laughs> and and the space. And the space horse equal episode was a fun one. Yes, that that was a lot of fun. Uh, where we covered uh, the Friday the Thirteenth, uh, Jason X. Uh, we covered uh, Leprechaun Four, I believe, and we also covered uh, Hellraiser. Is it the fourth one in that one as well? <laughs> yes. yes. So that was that was a, a lot of fun, and uh, I. Also, I, I feel like I need to shout out the episode with uh, Spencer as well, where we covered the baby, uh, where oh. Spencer got to talk about one of his favorite movies, which we had a, a good time doing that episode. Yes, the baby is uh, to me a masterpiece <laughs> of uh, contemporary horror. <laughs> Did you see that they recently included that in the uh, U.S. archives as an important film? Are you dying or being serious? No, I'm, I'm fucking joking. Are you crazy? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know, I know we're baby. a bunch of idiots in this country. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you don't fuck around with the baby. <laughs> that is that is actually a rule I, I follow. <laughs> um, Mike, Grind, Ben, what's coming up in February? Well, in February, we got a whole bunch of great stuff. First of all, Rage to Kill, which is a real it's a real hidden gem with Cameron Mitchell in it and directed by David Winters, the man who directed Thrashin and was uh, a Broadway actor for West Side Story. That movie, the first 20 minutes of that movie are just absolutely amazing. Have you ever want to see anybody like shoot up a birthday party at the <laughs> beginning of a action movie? Rage to Kill is the movie for you. Uh, we also have Laser Mission with Brandon Lee and Ernest Borg- Borgnine. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one. Uh, yeah. I forgot and, uh, his light career was so weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. 1989 Borgnine. He's in all sorts of stuff that, uh, you know, helps remodel his kitchen. Uh, and then Alone <laughs> in the Dark, 1982, which is Jack Palance, Donald Pleasance, and Martin Landau. That's... Uh, that's that a makes movie. If you more, haven't seen that one. That makes me, that makes me more sad to think about. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an interesting one. So that's coming up on the show. And then you guys, uh, you and Joel will be joining us for the Bloody Pit of Horror. That Jack Palance also? No. Joel? Oh. It is a movie starring Mickey Hargitay, a.k.a. Uh. Uh, the father of... Uh, Marishka Hargitay and uh, formerly married to uh, what is that actress woman? Jane. Yes, 
Jane Cleavage. No, wait. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mansfield. Mansfield. Yes, they were married. Anyways, it's an Italian horror, you know, semi-giallo. It's going to be great. All right. And uh, come up for me. I might have been on the Uvra Busters by this point, talking about Dersu Uzala, uh, uh, which is Kurosawa's best movie that no one talks about. It's also his one Soviet film, because he couldn't make movies in Japan at the time. So he went to the Soviet Union was like, hey, we'll give you money to make a movie. And then he won an Oscar for it, and then he uh, got to make movies in Japan again, and never went back to went back to Russia for to make another movie. But uh, yeah, that might be it. I might be on Within Our Gates, Mtume's podcast. Uh, we're talking about a Harun, a Muhammad Salah Harun movie. We haven't decided which one as of now, but I will be on that at some point talking about an African film. And uh, J Dog, I'm not going to ask about the vampire show or I appreciate other... it. <laughs> I'm not going to be like our other guest we record with this. Uh, yeah, today. that other guest who actually wants to listen to the show. What's his problem? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I, I know uh, what I'm going to do after we get off of this episode. Okay, that's let me just put it that way. All right. All right, and uh, Nolan, Mike, thanks for coming on, and no, you we'll return. Oh, you're yes. welcome. For thank you so much for having me on, guys. Welcome been a lot for for weekend and under <laughs> and the TBD to be determined. That sounds and great. That is Aventura in the next episode with returning guest Amanda, and. Uh, and it's Antonioni, so maybe I'll like it this time. Who knows? But uh, yeah, watch. I can't. I I want to be watching Antonioni. Watch if you feel like it. <laughs> That's right. it. See, stopping. The show can be found on Twitter at Piano Player Pod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and at various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art, sarahkathleenroberts.com. And thank you for listening.